This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Builder Future Podcast. I'm very, very excited today to have Tejas Sandal from Carbon Craft Design. He's based in Mumbai, India, and I wanted to talk to him about some of the brand new innovations and technologies that he's been working on. Tejas, can you let me know a little bit more about yourself and what Carbon Craft Design is? Hi, Rahul. Thanks a lot for having me on board. This is great. It's great to be having talking about sustainability and everything about climate change action and it's great to share our story overall so what we've been up to is i am tejas sidnal founder of carbon craft design uh, what we've been doing is we build products by upcycling carbon emissions so essentially the air pollution that you see around you what we figured out is to sequester that into a form of a tile a building material which can then be used into upcycling various forms of pollution that we have into some sort of raw material that we really need into building construction as far as my journey goes so i have always been very excited about biomimicry and i stumbled upon the term biomimicry in the third year of my undergrad basically architecture and that was in bombay and so that i wanted to learn more about nature strategies and how you could emulate how nature designs and how you can learn that and apply that into some form of a design application i wanted to learn more about this and i went to london at the architectural association school of architecture in london i studied emergent technologies and design at the aa post that i had a chance to sort of put that experimental practice that i learned into some form of design and i started visiting schools from there i worked in china for a year and then eventually i came back and started a design consultancy and a re- research form in india very interesting so what is biomimicry by definition so biomimicry has two words essentially which is bios and mimesis bios means like and mimesis means imitation so essentially you take inspiration from nature to design there's a lot of terminologies that are there around this term which is biomimicry there is biomimic there is biophilia there is biochemistry synthetic biology bio utilization all of this is floating around as terminologies but as michael pollan who studied this a lot more he puts it out really well the way he says it is when it's right to say it is a biomimetic design when the design has some sort of function and the morphology of the organism which is then used into design essentially velcro is the best example of biomimetic design can you extrapolate on that so when we say biophilia essentially it means love for plants because that's what biophilia really means bio and philia essentially when you say bio utilization you know when we have these ponds and then we put these specific plants in the ponds that purify the water in a certain way you don't require some sort of chemicals you're utilizing these organisms to clean the water so that's bio utilization 
we say synthetic biology when we extend the growth of the organism from the natural dna process which essentially means imagine you had a watermelon of a certain size and now it's coming double the size or triple the size that mm-hmm. enhancing the dna of the organism to do something that you would want it to do other than what mm-hmm. it is doing i was actually asking in terms of velcro how is velcro the best example of it so we've all heard about the budrock balls as an example you know when we were kids we had these sort of smaller balls that used to get stuck to our fabric or to our mm-hmm. hand and then we used to walk with those and then we used to just remove those off basically that's actually a part of the pollination in nature how does pollination really happen so these animals and birds and humans like us basically we take these seeds and then we go at a certain place and then it drops off over there and that's when it starts to grow essentially so pollination is a way of how you attach onto a certain thing and then you detach so mm-hmm. if you see butter of birds in the geometry it has a certain hook to it as a geometry as a morphology and then with a certain amount of energy it also goes out so if you see the function is it has to hook onto something and it has to leave but it also requires only a certain amount of energy for it to do that that's exactly what velcro does for us as well it mm-hmm. hooks on so they took the example of the morphology it hooks on to it and then it's also removed with a certain amount of energy so there you see there is a certain geometry and there is a certain function requirement where it has to remove as well with a certain amount of energy so that's when when we say that when morphology along with the design function come together and they marry is when you can call it a biomimetic design it's not like you just take inspiration from the morphology and then you say that this is a biomimetic design that is more like a biomorphic design essentially just taking the geometry of it and then taking inspiration from there so going back to the vision for carbon craft why air pollution what made you tip your hand to air pollution that maybe it wasn't only a technological challenge to lower air pollution and it was something that you could use and recycle or upcycle as you say right so i think it goes back to my journey as as a whole when i was there in london i studied quite a bit about three areas one was biomimicry other was material science and the third one was say computational tools so how we could put these three together and develop a certain amount of research agenda together and build a pavilion at the end of the day so while i was studying all these three i had a chance to do a visiting school so visiting school has to do a lot with the research agenda that we take every year we take one sort of research agenda and we sort of build that research up and then we teach that to the students who come from all over the world so while i was choosing into this the fourth visiting school that was there i was hosting the fourth visiting school and at that time i had a choice of choosing which agenda that we were going into and i was very clear that i wanted to take a global problem which could also be solved locally in a certain way and how you could create solutions around that so there were three choices that i was interested in three areas of research that i was interested in one is clean air clean water clean food at that time so the more i researched about it i realized that air pollution is a huge problem and we are not looking at it with the architectural lens at all and it became imperative of how we as architects are responsible for this entire thing and how much 
damage we are doing ourselves so from there i think it was quite evident that this is what as a research i want to take up and take air pollution as a major issue which we could address through the architectural lens yeah so tell me a little bit more about the journey of carbon craft design as i understand it you have quite a few collaborators that are not necessarily a day to day part of carbon craft but it's a lot of collaborations with different people in different industries that are working towards the same goal how did that all form how did the process start and can you walk me through briefly how that journey started right so i think it as you rightly mentioned carbon craft is a sort of a, a journey that happens over all of the choices that have been there since the very early on so when i was doing my masters while i came out of that i realized that i want to go back to india and i also want to do something what i have learned over here and that's exactly when i looked at the a visiting school and the journey of a visiting school has a lot to do with the entire aspect of how carbon craft really grew from there so i'll just briefly introduce what i did for those three years so in the first year we looked at creating shell structures with biomimicry material science and computational tools and how we could sort of integrate these three together with one material which is cement and we did a lot of experiments around this and we built a pavilion at the end of this basically in the second visiting school we looked at a material which was bamboo we realized in the first one that we had chosen cement as a material and with a lot of the critics that we got around that material was why are we choosing a material which is already processed and can we choose a more natural material so from there we moved on to choosing a much natural material which is bamboo and then can we create shell structures around this while we did our second a visiting school we realized that this is good this is a nice research that we did we built a hyperbolic parabola around it we took nature's strategies and then we applied to it but there was a problem with this as well that we we were not able to apply this at scale at any place so that's when we started to think about the third visiting school and that's when we looked at big tires because this is locally available and then probably we can also scale this to an extent with the research that we are doing and mm-hmm. uh, while we did this this was exciting but this didn't have commercial scalability at that time that's when a global problem came with air pollution and during the fourth visiting school now we started to look at air pollution as an issue and how we can create a facade so this is probably the starting of the research that has started with air pollution 3 years back and now we're looking at a facade which could also capture air pollution and eventually be made out of that but the problem with this was this wasn't a sort of a commercially scalable element yet and then we started to think can we really make a product which is a basic element of a building material and we can scale that as well Mm-hmm. to upcycle more and more carbon emissions and that's really when was it was an offshoot of all these things that we had learned we thought that now i think it's tile if we can build a tile that would then be sort of upcycling more carbon emissions into that you obviously probably ran into some challenges in actually trying to capture this air pollution what were some of those challenges and and how did you end up getting over that hurdle another challenge that we are facing is the mentality of the people at the moment with respect to 
sustainability and climate change issues a lot of the people don't really believe that this is true and this is happening around us and there has to be a lot of behavioral change around us to really make an impact overall like air pollution is something that you don't see right so that's the problem so we don't believe that it is an issue when you put garbage or trash outside your house you can see that that's a problem but air pollution is something that people can't really visualize it's invisible it's sort of a problem which is not there so how do you really convince people that this is a huge problem and this is causing an issue and you need to deal with this and i think that's an issue that we are facing majorly right now yeah you know what in my in my previous conversation with uh, paul dasset we talked about that idea that concept because what we've noticed in the construction industry or in just in society in general when it comes to trying to be either sustainable or having an impact in upcycling carbon and moving towards a more net zero carbon we find it's more of a lifestyle choice as opposed to fully right. saying that yes this is an issue right right i think it has to do a lot with people as you said it's, it's absolutely perfect it has to do a lot with the lifestyle if people really believe that they can make a change and one person can make this change and they can start from there and i think a lot of a lot of things will change from that when people ask us about this issue and they say that how are you doing with respect to covid and we say that climate change is equally important and this is probably going to be a chance of how you can change things but the major issue is do you have the will for it because if you don't have the will for it you can't really change it yeah i mean on that same line how has your life changed since you started focusing on reducing the carbon footprint by upcycling air pollution like when you first started studying this might not have been a path you wanted to go down but as you mentioned you got introduced to this concept and you know you've gone down this path so how has that changed in your life how's your life changed as a result i think the more we've learned about this scarier it has become to be honest <laughs> i've realized that uh, on a professional level and a personal level we are contributors given it a choice or not but we are contributors but uh, it's more scary when you look at it from the professional front as well so we can make a change from the professional front but from the personal front it becomes even more difficult because when you learn more about carbon footprint when you learn more about air pollution how do you deal with this it's so huge an issue over here in cities like delhi and mumbai one has to have a mask on all the time almost all the time so while we are going in public transport there is yet not a lot of awareness in people that they don't really wear a mask but if you wear a mask it's looked upon all the time like okay this crazy guy is wearing a mask and roaming in the metro so <laughs> a little life changes like that because you are informed about it makes it very difficult in a way can we reduce the consumption of dairy at a personal level as far as to do that since the past two years so a lot of this has affected at, at a personal level and at a professional level and how we are using building techniques which are low carbon intensive we are sort of looking at slow fashion how i could reuse my clothes over and over again instead of buying new ones because there's so much of trash everywhere so it's an overall change that has happened from the time we started to learn about this and how we can reduce carbon footprint at a personal level as well mm-hmm. now speaking about the learning 
you obviously got introduced to this when you went to university. Now, was that a, a master's program? Was that an undergrad program? Because I don't necessarily notice courses or degrees being offered to do something like this. So is this more of like a niche project that you decided to do while you were in school? No, I think what I believe is when you go for a master's program, what really happens over there is a school of thought. So it allows you to conduct yourself a certain way. You start to understand what your likings are, what your beliefs are, how you sort of get attracted to a certain topic, certain interest, and how you take that ahead sort of methodically in a, in a systemic fashion. And that is something that I think AA as a master's program has taught. It probably hasn't taught me about air pollution. It wasn't, hasn't taught me about design. But how do you approach a certain subject and go down to the end of something that you really believe in and how you can make that change overall is something that I think we learned. But I say this all the time to everyone around. Our education system is so flawed at the moment that we can't really rely on them for learning about a certain topic and a subject. It's more to do with how you are exposed to certain things and learnings that you've had over your life experiences and how you can create an impact by changing those. Yeah, you know, I tend to agree. I think universities, colleges, uh, schooling in general, I think they, at least on the undergraduate level, they give you the, the basic tools that are needed in order to push an idea, push a concept. And then at the end of the day, it's really on your shoulders to take an idea or concept with those basic fundamental tools and build upon that. Yeah, and I think we've been doing that. And overall, I think that is what has helped us in channeling our energies from when we do our aims in school. It really helps us put a one-year-long research into a 10-day format where we teach students how to approach a certain subject over there. And that is something that we want to inculcate in learning. Because while we are doing our research, we also want to sort of empower other people to sort of have this kind of a practice overall. So we have students and teachers from all over the world. We have them from different backgrounds who are also practicing architects. So this then expands beyond a certain area of people and how they could sort of implement that within their work as well. Speaking of which, did you have any mentors or teachers that kind of guided you through this process, kind of fine-tuned your thinking process? Yeah, at some levels, I would say that at every level, there was a different mentor, I can say that. When mm -hmm. I think I was learning about biomimicry, there wasn't really anyone who could tell me about this here. So I started to reach out to everyone whom I found was working with biomimicry as such. So, so Janine Benyus was, uh, is the one who coined biomimicry as a term. And I was following her work a lot at that time. And this is somewhere about almost a decade ago, which is about in 2011. And that is when I was looking at this work and there was internet wasn't that big at that time. At least we weren't researching about every topic that was there over online. So Having to know about what she was doing was really interesting. And I wanted to sort of meet her and, and get to see her. So while I was doing my master's, I got a chance to go down and present our thesis with her. So And then I had a brief word with her. And then she sort of guided in a certain way. And then I would say that the master's course also, we had a certain amount of mentors. Mm -hmm. And when I came into this 
whole idea of air pollution i met anirudh and nikhil who have also been working in this almost 6 to 7 years so they they also have been certain mentors and advisors whom we go to even today if we need to know about any issue that we are facing because they've done that and been there overall i think it's very important to have the right sort of guidance towards whatever you're doing it's something that we lack as well that's awesome i mean let's get to some of the more interesting stuff What are some of the milestones that you guys have accomplished over the last few years? I know you said you started about three years ago and such, but I'm sure you've had some uh, some significant milestones. So we started about three years ago, and at that time we did some prototypes and worked with various materials, binders, and how we can make this least amount of carbon-intensive sort of a material that we wanted to go out with. we were sure that we wanted to launch somewhere early january of 2020 of i mean we were done with our lab test wet transfer strength and absorption strength and we were ready with our lab test and we knew that we were going to go out in january mm-hmm. with respect to milestones what we want to do now is you know go ahead with 50000 square feet of area that we want to replace with a mass produced customized style right now and we want to do at least 1 ton of upcycling carbon emissions that's what really what we want to do in this year which is about 50000 square feet at least and from there we want to move on to see if we can make other products within the interior industry as well so it can be furnishing it can be walls it can be round earth walls and mm-hmm. eventually what where we want to get to is in probably the next 2 3 years is if we can make everything out of air pollution so right. imagine a building a built form which is the brick the tile the walls the interior furnishing if you can make all of the sort of carbon emissions and that's probably the aim of where we want to get to in terms of milestone in the next 3 to 5 years so it sounds like you were successful in upcycling air pollution into a carbon tile that's what you call it right now correct Yes, yes, yes. So what is it actually? Like what uses are there? How did that process take? What was the, what was the time frame to actually get that tile and that carbon tile that you could actually use on interior projects? With air pollution there are essentially two issues. One is how do you capture it and the other is what do you do with it? So while in the three years of our research we realized and learned that we can't do both and it is too big an issue to be able to deal with both so that's how we collaborated with airink and they help us with the first part how you capture it so they collect and process the carbon emission and then they give it to us in the format of a food basically it's a powder and what we do with this powder is we mix it with natural materials with binders and then form a slurry and then there is a handcrafted 200 year old handcrafted technique that we are using to build these tiles essentially so by using this handcrafted sort of technique we are also empowering the local people in a way by generating more jobs with the certain craft that is already been existing in india and we could use that and develop a carbon tile out of that interesting so it sounds like what old is new again <laughs> in some yeah, sense yeah old is gold <laughs> right <laughs> that's that's exactly so what kind of applications have you used it on that it can't be used on right now so right now it can be used as a tile um, there are two types in this 
you can also customize any pattern, any design that you have. So that's the USP of this as well. So as compared to a mass-produced vitrified tile, one doesn't have a choice other than what is there in the inventory. But you can give us your design and then we can give it to you in like about 30 days. Any design that you want and a quantity that you want, which is about 10,000 square feet space, which is as good as a certain huge bungalow <laughs> for any common person. So um, what we do is we, I'm sorry, I lost your question. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I was just asking some applications that you're using this uh, carbon tile in. Right. So at the moment, carbon tiles are used in residential. It is used in offices. It can be a great mix for a pub because it, it has these highlighter tiles as well. There are plain tiles as well to complement these highlighter designer tiles as well. What we are moving on to now is if we can do some sort of an IPS, which is the concrete finish that you see. IPS is also called as Indian Patent Stone. Essentially, it's just a mix of slurry, which is just put on top of a floor or onto a wall. So it can be a wall finish as well. It's on a floor as well. So application-wise, it can go into various domains of uses, but also into various spaces as well. We also do only black and white. So that's also one of the limitations you can say that we work with because air pollution is black and white, right? So we have only two colors, black, white, and four ranges of gray, essentially. Interesting. I love what your website shows, actually, because a common question that always arises is, all right, if I'm going down this path, what actual impact am I making? I noticed on your website that you're actually able to quantify the kind of impact the use of this carbon tile is. Right. So when we started off with this journey, people started to ask us, what does carbon emissions really do? And at that time, we said that it's like a coloring agent as well as a major, major performance. The, all the color that you see with respect to gray is due to these carbon emissions that are there. And it is also there in the tile. But if you see as a major performance, it is the color. We are not completely sure about the fact that it also adds strength, but we also know that it may add strength, but it depends on more R&D that we need to do. And for that, we need more funds to be able to get there yet. But then to communicate, we had to figure out a way of how do we really say how much of carbon emissions has gone into it, which a common man would really be able to understand. And we sort of figure out a way of how people relate to this. And the easiest way that we could come up with was how much air does a person breathe in a day, which is about 30,000 liters of air. And are we able to sort of say, collect or say, purify that much amount of air? So that's the way I think we thought that it was very exciting to communicate in a way that one square feet of tile almost sort of looks at 30,000 liters of air that has been purified. Yeah, it's funny. You just mentioned, you know, in terms of the strength of the tile and stuff. And, and I'm very curious, are you, have you found any challenges in, in introducing this tile in the industry in terms of their mindset or, you know, architectural firms and their engagements with this kind of tile? Or are there some questions that they do ask before they spec the product? Yeah, I think everyone asks that to us. <laughs> Even today, everyone would ask us, one basic question which is harmful. What you're doing is you're taking the air pollution from outside and then you're putting it inside a tile in my house. So is that really harmful? So at that time, all we need to say to them is 
it's made out of carbon emissions at the end of the day we need to also understand what does this constitute of for example i would say at that time what we say also is a difference between carbon black and black carbon so carbon black essentially is a black pigment which is made by burning fossil fuels in a controlled environment so if you see anything black around you right now while you're listening to this podcast you can see anything black around you it can be your glasses it can be your earphones it could be your laptop anything black that you see around you is the black pigment basically which is carbon black which is produced in a controlled environment by burning fossil fuel essentially you use that so what we are trying to say here is we could use black carbon essentially which is captured from outside and then processed and then use that as a pigment if we are able to do that then we don't have to burn fossil fuels to really get this process carbon black hmm the those questions kind of start changing your mindset on how you maybe need to position carbon craft design yeah 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 so what happens with that is when people ask us that question of how is it harmful so what we say at that time to them is even the kajal that you apply eyeliner that you apply above your eye basically that's also carbon black and we never question these things when you are applying carbon black so close to your body and we don't really question those things while here what we're doing is we're saying that we're taking this captured suit and then we're putting it into a tile and what we also do is we seal it with we have we apply a sealant on top of that basically so that mm-hmm. it, it doesn't come out as well so those are the questions that we sort of deal with the people how safe is it and is it long lasting is it durable so those are questions that we are dealing with as of now but yeah i think we'll pass through all those things very very soon because we believe that a lot of these materials are going to embed captured carbon into various building materials very soon and it's going to become a norm very soon yeah i think it all depends on context right i think for so long nobody has questioned the products that have been quote unquote marketed or branded a certain way but the minute you start talking about something like air pollution in this context there's so many questions that come up because no one's really spoken about using air pollution in an eyeliner as an example they just say it's an eyeliner but i think what you're trying to do is you're trying to actually influence and change people's mindsets as well about what air pollution can actually give us Yeah I mean recently we were on to a very interesting virtual conference that was going on by Air Miner so there are various people who are doing very interesting stuff around this like our partners which is Graviki they are making ink out of air pollution there are people who are making protein out of air pollution there are people who are doing really interesting and insane stuff that the some people are making fuel out of it so i think it is a huge sort of an opportunity here right now where we could use air pollution which is if you can treat it like a waste resource and deal with this problem with that perspective i think a lot more can be achieved for the entire planet yeah you know it's interesting i do think that we are moving into more for sustainable way of building either houses or commercial spaces by using naturally occurring materials but i think or i feel what you're doing is using a man-made byproduct and with more research and development 
in order to compare, you know, the strengths, the durability of your carbon tile, I do think that it is something that we could potentially use more in construction. How do you see it fitting in? Like, is cost a factor? Is just gaining more awareness of the product a factor? So I think it's a very interesting question because when we started with the journey of air pollution, we started to think, okay, what are the larger issues that we want to deal with? So is it the building construction industry and the requirement for raw materials or is this solving air pollution as an issue, as the larger issue? So when you look at air pollution, there is a lot of carbon dioxide in the air. And then are we looking at resolving that kind of issue? Can we plant more trees? And that's about it, you know? Can we just plant more trees and then reduce the CO2 emissions and can take the CO2 basically, not reduce CO2 emissions, but can take the CO2 from the air? Is that one of the solutions can we look at? But I, I, we also feel that we have gone past that as of now, and it has almost become irreversible for us if we don't capture the emissions that are there in the air and the PM particles that are there in the air, we might just lose what we really have. And it will become so bad that our next generation will be living in air pollution throughout their life. And that is when we thought that it is extremely important that we have to involve a certain amount of tech and a certain amount of building material into this. And yes, you're right. Cost is an issue yet, but the way we also see it is this is a very nascent stage of this entire domain of work, which is around air pollution. There aren't very specific terminologies as well, which are framed and there isn't a body which can say that, yes, this is right and this is wrong. Everyone has their own sort of understandings of the terminologies that are there around this as well. So it's an evolving sort of a domain, I would say, as of now. But yes, I mean, for example, you can look at Tesla. They started with the Roadster, right? With like a supercar, which is where they started with that sort of EV and then moved on to an affordable segment. And which, to be honest, I yet feel is not affordable in India. 35 lakhs is not really affordable in India as well. So I don't know. So that's, I think, the route overall. Where you always develop a certain tech and then a material around it, which might be expensive initially, but as the research advances, it will start to become more and more cheaper and affordable. And I think that is where we want to head as well. Sustainability at the moment, everyone feels is not affordable. It is only for the rich and only those people can really afford to go ahead with sustainable natural materials. So we want to break that myth and we want to make carbon tile affordable at the end of the day so that more people can have a choice that they can make a change if they want to and it is almost at the same price of what you buy a mass produced vitrified tile. So where do you build from here? What's I know you touched on it a little bit earlier but do you have any other products in the pipeline that you're working on? Are you focusing just on the carbon tile for the time being to refine it more? What's in store for us for the next few years with uh, carbon craft and yourself? I think the journey is going to be damn exciting for us as well. But the focus is going to be around carbon tile at the moment. We want to master our first material that we have and then try have a certain distribution model, a certain way of collaboration, which is B2B, is what we're looking at. So essentially, if you look at these large companies, large manufacturing units who have carbon emissions of their own, 
uh, we want to collaborate with them and then we say that, hey, look, you have this carbon emission and uh, you also have this infrastructure development. So you are also developing this property. Can we collaborate? And we say that we will take your emissions and we will supply for a demand that you already have, which is tiles to start with. So the real estate developers will then look at this as an opportunity where they can use their emissions itself as a raw material. So we want to build this sort of a B2B business lineup first with all the real estate and infrastructure developers. And in the next couple of years, we want to have like a, a cycle, like a circular loop around this. Then we use their emissions and then we develop carbon tiles for them. And through that, what we realize is now we've been approached by a couple of companies who have huge infrastructure developments and we're looking at setting up some research agendas on how we can develop other products as well for them, where they're looking at outdoor cladding tiles, they're looking at paver blocks, they're looking at walls. So can we really do that for them? Because they already have so much carbon emissions, which they anyways dump and degrade the water bodies and the natural land. So that's one of the ways of what we're looking at with a B2B model right now. But we also want to get to a proper distribution channel on the side where this could sort of then be deployed at various countries where they have access to the tiles and eventually probably be made in those in those countries as well. Once I think we've developed a strong hold with this material, we are then going to go into other forms of products as well, which is first we're looking at how we can make probably furniture because that we feel would be easy pick. And it will give us a certain amount of funds to work with. Sounds so interesting and I dare say challenging as well. But I guess that's the whole joy of being an entrepreneur at times, right? So where can people find more about you, about uh, Carbon Craft, uh, if they're interested? Can you let us know? Yeah, we're we there on Instagram as well, on Carbon Craft Design. Our website is www.carboncraftdesign.com. Please reach out to us. We would love to hear your stories of how you have been trying to deal with carbon emissions, carbon footprint. If you have a certain inquiry, please drop a line to us on our website and then we'll reach out. Fantastic, Tejas. It's been quite the eye-opening conversation with you today. So many interesting thoughts and concepts on, on changing mindsets, entrepreneurship, challenges, and, and also, more importantly, some of the milestones you've achieved. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Rahul. It's been great. It's been great to share our story and we're looking forward to more of your stories around around the podcast that we've been doing. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you so much, Tezash. Next week, Danny Tseng joins us as we dive into live workspaces. Is this a hybrid solution for office spaces where a company's team works partly in the office and the rest at home? Danny shares with us the concepts and design solutions his team has implemented to create an efficient working from home environment. Now, as always, please do leave us a review, feedback, or rating on whatever platform you're available. We'd love to hear from you and learn how we can improve moving forward.